Well, joining us on the line now, we have advocate Mark Oppenheimer, practicing advocate and member of the Johannesburg Bar. Advocate, a very good afternoon to you, and uh, thank you once again for joining us. Absolute pleasure. Advocate, okay, so we're looking at uh, Israel's uh, response, detailed response, you could say, to South Africa's genocide case against Israel. Let's open up the discussion on a, on a generic, on an overall basis. What was your overall impression from Israel's presentation? Well, the first thing to bear in mind is the time constraints that the Israeli team had to face are extreme. Right. So South Africa had launched this case on the 29th of December when most normal people are sitting on a beach um, and had asked for it to be heard within the first week of January, um, giving almost no time. It's pretty clear that they'd put in months of preparation uh, and assembled the biggest uh, legal team I've ever seen. Um, mm-hmm. And so the Israeli team must have just worked around the clock. And I thought they did a sterling job. Um, they really pointed out some of the huge pitfalls in South Africa's case. The chief being among really the failure to prove that there's a plausible case of genocidal intent. And right. I think that's really the difficulty that we'd identified last time in our prior discussion, um, looking at what South Africa's case was. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the Israeli lawyers really point out in a lot of detail why that case couldn't possibly be met. And so part of that has to do with the kind of evidence that the South Africans presented. So first of all, um, the Israelis are very quick to point out that you had this decontextualized case, that um, almost nothing is said about October 7th and almost nothing is said about the idea that there is an ongoing war of self-defense. The only thing that's said about it is that Israel doesn't have the right to defend itself against non-state actors, which Israel was quite quick to point out that the uh, counsel who'd made that statement, Professor Lowe, that his own textbook uh, contradicts that view that, of course, states have the right to defend themselves from non-state actors like terrorist groups like Hamas. But when they looked at the evidence regarding genocidal intent, what you had really was uh, dribs and drabs of individuals making inflammatory statements. Um, often what you'd have is a statement that when you looked at what was actually said, it was quite clear that the statement was, we need to eradicate Hamas. Uh, and the way it would be presented by South Africa is that it looked like it was about eradicating Gazans. So there's a wonderful moment in the proceedings um, where they say, let's refer to the particular statement that you say Benjamin Netanyahu made, and here's what you said, and here's the rest of the paragraph um, Mm. where Netanyahu says, every single life matters, whether you are a a Jew or a Palestinian, if you're a civilian, your life matters. Um, And that our object is to eradicate Hamas, not Palestinian civilians. Um, and then he refers to Amalek. And so uh, Tomeka and Nakatobi made much of this idea of Amalek and they sort of read in various verses. There's an interesting thing that people might not know. There is a statue meters away from The Hague where the uh, International Court sits. And it is a memorial to the Jews that were slaughtered in a genuine uh, genocide. Mm-hmm. And there's a big star of David and it references Amalek. Why is it reference Amalek? Because Amalek referred to the Nazis in that case. Um, and so Amalek is a biblical right. line that's used to refer to people who've tried to annihilate the Jews. Um, it doesn't refer to all Germans. I mean, the country that has come out to support Israel um, most recently is Germany. Um, so you can have subsets of people who are uh, sinister forces like Amalek, and that subset in this situation is Hamas. Um, Advocate, before we really get into 
the nitty gritty of uh, all all the speakers on on Friday. I just want to reflect on something you mentioned earlier on about how South Africa, within a certain period of time, got together, got this uh, really, you know, like. Uh, a strong legal team in in place to to take on Israel here at the International uh, Court of Justice. I've been I, I picked up on an article earlier on that there's um, there could be concerns regarding procedure leading up to this hearing um, in terms of correct notification time and procedure. Could this still come into play? Yes, it's a point taken by Malcolm Shaw, mm-hmm. and he says that in order for the court to have jurisdiction, there must be a dispute between the parties. And uh, the argument that's raised is to say, well, in order for there to be a dispute, there needed to be some kind of a meeting between the two states um, where it was clear that they disagreed. And what you had is that very late in the day, mm-hmm. um, um, South Africa sends this note for bail, I think on the 21st of December, um, and the Israelis immediately respond and they say, um, well, let's have a meeting. Um, and the South Africans do that and push around and, you know, sort of say, okay, let's have a meeting. And they want to say, let's not have a meeting. Then they send out their, their case um, on the 29th. And mm-hmm. um, Israel sort of says, well, this is strange given that we were in discussions to have a meeting about this. Let's still have a meeting. Um, and the South Africans then say, well, there's no point. So they refuse. Um, so it is possible that the case could be decided on that jurisdictional point. I imagine that the impact of that would be possibly take the wind out of South Africa's sails if the case mm-hmm. was dismissed on that technical point. I don't think it would be a bar um, to coming back uh, on on the merits. It might require uh, Israel and South Africa to sit down and have the, have the conversation and for the dispute to be created and then for the proceedings to um, mm-hmm. happen again. So that is a possibility that could occur. Okay. Um, of course, you know, the South Africans might decide um, after that meeting, not to continue with uh, legal proceedings. Indeed. Okay, so, advocates, um, let, let's look at the speakers themselves. Uh, we, we do have you, we've commandeered you for most of the afternoon until the top of the hour. So, if we can, let's look at Dr. Talbeck, a legal advisor. Um, how did you interpret uh, uh, Dr. Becker's uh, speech delivery? I think if your listeners are to listen to one portion of the proceedings, mm-hmm. uh, Talbeck is, is the most accessible um, and really just outstanding. Uh, he does a, a wonderful job of providing the true context um, of the litigation, um, points out the dishonesty from the South African team, goes into some detail um, about October 7th, and shows the pitfalls um, in, in the case, and just presents in a very uh, eloquent, intelligent, and accessible way. Um, I, you know, Not to say that the rest of the team don't do a wonderful job. Sure. Um, it's just that some of the things that are dealt with are technical in nature, like, for example, this discussion we've had now about whether there's a dispute. Uh, Malcolm Shaw goes into some detail about that. Um, but really, Talbecker gives such a fantastic insight and overview. Indeed. Um, and, and I think it's sort of I imagine that the South African team sitting in that room, if they were being honest with themselves, that they would have felt um, their case evaporate. Um, there is one there's one moment um, that I found a bit disturbing, which is that as he's talking about some of the atrocities committed by Hamas, the camera kind of pans out, and you can see members of the South African legal team uh, looking down at their cell phones. Um, and I thought uh, there's mm. something... 
um, quite distasteful about doing that. I mean, you're in this most formal of settings, um, you're hearing about civilians being massacred, um, being raped, um, and you know, you're hanging out on Instagram. That seems troubling to me. Indeed. Indeed. And then looking at, uh, well, this is a speaker that really uh, caught uh, one's attention, not that the others didn't. Uh, we're looking at Malcolm Shaw, who's a foremost expert on international law, and he's written the book titled International Law. Your take on uh, Malcolm Shaw's delivery? Yes, he did a strikingly good job. Um, I, that, that book, by the way, has had many editions. I've been reading through the ninth edition, um, which is very up to date, and it's 1,300 pages. So you're dealing with really an intellectual giant in the field. Mm. Um, and you know, it was very good at getting a true sense of what Israel's obligations are. Um, one of the things that I thought was very effective was to point out that Israel's not committing a genocide. But mm-hmm. it is involved. It is involved in a just war, but um, its involvement in a just war wouldn't exonerate it from a genocide. So just because you are in a war doesn't mean that you're entitled to commit genocide. Um, and I thought that it was quite a clever way of framing it to say, you know, the South African team has forgotten entirely that we're involved in a war, and that would give a pretty good explanation for why you have civilian casualties like you have in all wars. Um, the way the South African team would have you believe it is that Israel just sort of. Uh, came in there and started, uh, you know, killing people willy-nilly. Um, so it's important to provide the context of the war. But they say, look, right. you know, of course, that wouldn't provide us reason for mm. a genocide. Indeed. And then what's done so well is to say, well, what would that standard be? It's about Israeli policy. So what is the policy of, of Israel on this? And then you have, you know, not just sort of random uh, TikTok videos of people saying inflammatory things. You have right. a good sense of what the Israeli policy Indeed. is. And the Israeli policy is... Advocate, I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to cut you short there. We have reached uh, the bottom of the hour. We just want to cut for a short uh, news break, and we will revert back to you. Advocate Mark Oppenheimer, practicing advocate and member of the Johannesburg Bar. What, if you've just joined us, welcome to the Afternoon Overdrive. What we're doing is reviewing Israel's case, uh, response rather, to South Africa's genocide case against Israel. Israel. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Well, if you've just joined us, welcome to the Afternoon Overdrive on 11.9 High FM. I'm Michael McKenna. Joining me on the line, we have advocate Mark Oppenheimer, practicing advocate and member of the Johannesburg Bar. And earlier on, I did invite you to come on board. And if you've got any questions to pose this uh, during this afternoon's uh, conversation with advocate Mark Oppenheimer, let's just recap on those contact details. SMS 34519, Telegram 061-895-1019, Twitter handle at High FM. You want to drop us that email? It's on com. What we are discussing is Israel's response to South Africa's genocide case. Israel's response taking place on Friday the twelfth. Advocate, thank you so much for staying on the line. You were outlining uh, Malcolm Shaw's delivery uh, response, rather, at the ICJ on Friday. Please continue. And sorry about that interruption. We've got to catch up on news now and then. Over to you, Advocate. Sure. We got to the tantalizing detail of what um, Israel's actual policy is with regard to the conduct of this war. Right. And that policy is quite explicitly to eradicate Hamas, which is a terrorist group that has promised to um, commit October 7th time and time again, and then also to do so in a manner which protects civilian life insofar as is possible. Um, and that it, rec- it recognizes that um, civilian lives are sacred. Uh, that is not the line of a genocide here. 
Um, if you're trying to commit genocide, you don't in advance warn civilians that you're going to be attacking. You don't provide a safe mm -hmm. haven. Um, you don't give them all these opportunities to avoid being killed. Um, and of course, the other thing the South African government just make no mention of at all are that Hamas have embedded themselves in civilian areas. Uh, that you know they have um, put themselves inside of schools, inside of hospitals, inside of mosques, inside of apartment buildings. Um, so when you see footage from the South African um, legal team of soldiers destroying an apartment building, ordinarily you might think, oh my goodness, this is a, an, a, an attempt to kill poor civilians. Right. <laughs> you know, as opposed to saying, you know, um, actually the, the military threat is sitting inside of this apartment building. Um, you see some footage of the terror tunnels that were inside of um, hospitals that um, the medical staff in those hospitals confessed uh, to, to um, you know, having Hamas operating within there, that there's footage of weapons that have been found inside those hospitals, that hostages were kept inside of those hospitals. Um, these are war crimes committed by Hamas, um, that you make it incredibly difficult um, for Israel to fight a just war when you do that. One thing just to keep in mind, when you look at the civilian casualties, um, you know, as I say, every civilian life is, the loss of life is tragic. You have to say, well, what do the numbers look like in comparison to other conflicts? And so you have this ratio of every militant that is killed, you have two civilians killed. And that sounds terrible, um, mm. but it's actually much lower than other wars. So, you know, when NATO was uh, trying to prevent genocide in Yugoslavia, it killed uh, four civilians for every Serbian militant. Um, that it's often the case in, in war that you have a 90% uh, of the people that are killed are civilians. Um, it's a terrible thing. It's the nature of war, unfortunately, that civilians get killed. And Israel has made it very clear. They said this war could stop immediately. We would stop the war immediately if Hamas, if Hamas surrendered. What happened today, minutes ago, before we, we started this, this proceeding, and this might unfortunately be terrible news for the listeners, is that there was a terrorist attack in Renana. Mm -hmm. Now, Renana is a place in Israel that's going to have a particular resonance for South African Jews. It's referred to often as Renana Fontaine. There's a lot of South Africans that live there. And you had two terrorists from Hebron um, injure a group of children and stab a 70-year-old man to death. There is an ongoing threat against uh, Jewish and Israeli lives, and it's vital that the state is able to protect itself. Um, and of course, when you know South Africa get involved in litigation like this, they give cover to Hamas. Um, you know, the amount of anti-Semitism that we've seen globally has just escalated in the most horrific ways. Um, and you know, the South African team have, you know, really you're supporting mm. uh, an evil terrorist group that is a death cult. That's mm. uh, something that you should hang your head in shame over. Advocate, I, what you've just outlined now, looking at uh, the del deliveries from the speakers uh, thus far against the speakers of South Africa, I mean, uh, it's really poked a lot of holes in South Africa's case. Uh, you, do you really, you really, what's your opinion up till now regarding South Africa's case, really? Yeah, so as I mentioned, I'd poured over the 84 pages that mm -hmm. they had produced. Um, and there are, you know, you can see that an enormous amount of work has been put into this thing, um, that it's, you know, there's about 500 footnotes. But it's also quite clear that some of the sources that they were relying on are quite biased sources. So, um, mm. for example, I think 
last time we spoke, it's uh, they'd, they'd used this um, claim that there was a former minister of the Knesset, uh, Danny Neumann, who was calling for um, uh, Gaza to be obliterated. And of course, Danny Neumann was never a member of the Knesset. Uh, he was a football commentator. But this was a video that was sort of circulating on um, various uh, pro-Hamas uh, channels. So it gives you a sense where the South African team were looking when they sort of saw that footage. And so it should make us suspicious of the other footage that they used. Um, and, you know, one of the difficulties in the way that the case has been run is to, instead of think about what a genocide means, it's instead sort of focused on these individual actors. So right. in South Africa, for example, if you're running hate speech litigation, something that's... Um, Tembeka Nogatobi, who's dealing with that section of the litigation, you know, deals with on a regular basis. He's known to have defended Julius Malema for singing Kill the Boer. Um, and, you know, the way that that kind of litigation would go in South Africa is that you look at speech by individuals and you're holding those individuals accountable. And that is sort of the line that's been taken is to point at a 95-year-old um, military veteran and sort of show a portion of his speech or, you know, use these sort of snippets of songs. Um, and instead of saying, well, let's go and actually look at Israeli policy. So they've set up a bad case on that front. Um, and it makes it very difficult for them to, to achieve success if you've got an honest court. I imagine that a lot of people are going to wonder what are the kinds of uh, rulings that the court could give? And um, mm. you, we didn't really get any indication from the judges if they had a, a prima facie view on anything because the way that that court operates is that you know, the speakers present a speech um, and really the role of the judges in the proceeding was to sort of guide the process right. and that they'll express themselves uh, in writing. And I think they'll express themselves reasonably soon, um, mm. given that this was brought on an urgent basis and that it's only preliminary relief that is sought. Um, and I suppose we shall see what, what the views of the judges are. Indeed, advocates, uh, looking forward to your thoughts uh, and your comments and questions. I have on the line advocate Mark Oppenheimer, practicing advocate and member of the Johannesburg Bar. We're looking at uh, Israel's response to South Africa's genocide case against Israel. Israel's response uh, taking place on Friday, the 12th of January. Just a reminder, once again, on those contact details, SMS 34519, Telegram 0618951019, Twitter handle at HiFM. You want to drop us that email? It's on air at highfm.com. Let's move on to the other speakers now, just to unpack them uh, as quickly as we can, Advocate. We had Dr. Khalid Rajun, and uh, yes, Doctor, following that, I just want to get my list in order. It was Dr. Rajun, and then that was followed by Mr. Omri Sander. Um, yes, your take on those, on those speakers. Yes, they spoke, both spoke in quite a compelling manner, um, uh, I think there was quite a bit of attention given to the humanitarian efforts. You know, the sort of South African uh, line was that um, there are all these measures put in place to destroy the Palestinian people. And so there, the Israelis had an opportunity to explain what efforts they've made to ensure that aid reaches people, um, that there's provision of water, there's provision of fuel. Um, of course, what's difficult is that when aid trucks come in, Hamas has had a long history um, of using those trucks to smuggle in weapons. I mean, uh, you have you know rockets being fired. Uh, you have, um, let's say, various items that could have been used for good purposes, like cement, could have been used mm -hmm. um, to, you know to build to build schools, and instead we used to build terror tunnels. Um, so it means that you have to have some kind of inspection of those goods, which of course is going to slow things down. Um, and you know, obviously, there is some kind of you know humanitarian impact um, on that, but. 
um, it was made quite clear that you know, Israel wants to make good efforts to ensure that you know the civilians um, are able to get access to these resources. One of the crossings that South Africa described as being closed is a crossing with Israel. Um, the um, Israelis pointed out, well, South Africa was disingenuous in saying this crossing was closed because it was destroyed by Hamas, mm. uh, that the aid workers who worked at that crossing were killed by Hamas. So to say, oh, the evil Israelis were stopping you know, um, aid coming through, that's right. a enormous distortion of what occurred. And because and I'm sorry, I'm going to have to jump in there again. We have to cross, we have to break uh, crossover for a break. Uh, if you've just joined us, uh, advocate uh, Mark Oppenheimer, who's, the, who's a practicing advocate and member of the Johannesburg Bar. We're unpacking Israel's response on Friday to uh, this case brought to it, uh, this case of genocide brought to it by South Africa. Uh, we're just crossing over for a quick ad break and uh, yes, look forward to your participation. When you come back, uh, if you want to send in any comments or you want any questions to ask advocate sms 34519 telegram 061 895 1019 twitter handle at high fm you want to drop us that email it's on air at high fm.com high fm your station of choice since 2008 Time's just going 17 minutes to five. If you've just joined us, welcome to the Afternoon Overdrive on 101.9 High FM. I'm Michael McKenna. Joining us on the line, we have advocate Mark Oppenheimer, who's a practicing advocate and member of the Johannesburg Bar. Advocate, of course, thanks once again for staying on the line. Uh, really enjoying your interesting breakdown of uh, what transpired on Friday with Israel delivering its... Uh, defense against South Africa's case of genocide being posed to it. Uh, when we last left off, we were chatting to about uh, certain uh, speakers which uh, who delivered their speeches on Friday. That's Dr. Rajuan and uh, Mr. Omri Sender. You were touching on, on how... Um, South Africa, the, the exaggeration rather, or should we say inaccurate reports regarding aid being delivered into Gaza and traveling in and out of Gaza. Thanks for, thanks for staying on the line, Advocate. Back to you. Yes, so what I was saying was that um, the Eretz crossing between uh, Gaza and Israel, um, which the South Africans showed on a map as being closed, they failed to disclose that um, it was uh, attacked uh, by Hamas and that many of the aid workers who were working at that crossing were killed. Um, but it has since been reopened. Um, and so you can imagine the idea of you know, facilitating aid going through that crossing after the people that you worked with were executed by militants. Uh, that doesn't sound like the, con- the conduct of genocide is. You know, just Indeed. It's worth pausing on this idea of how big a deal it is to accuse a nation of genocide, in particular uh, the Jewish nation, which has endured a genuine genocide in the form of the Holocaust, where six million Jews were deliberately eradicated because they were Jews. So to make that claim, uh, it's such a serious claim. You really need fantastic amounts of evidence for it. And the South Africans just don't have it. Um, it's really a blood libel. And, you know, the, a lot of, lot of listeners will know what I mean by blood libel. It's sort mm-hmm. of lies that were spread about Jews that, um, you know, we make, make our matzo with uh, the blood of non-Jewish babies, that sort of stuff. Right. Things <laughs> you pull out of the protocols of the elders of Zion. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at... Those who were um, supporting South Africa as well, you get a sense. I did an interview on SABC last night, and the uh, reporter for the SABC said it was so wonderful that Jeremy Corbyn was present, um, you know, in the South African delegation. Now, Jeremy Corbyn was kicked out of the leadership mm-hmm. of the Labour Party uh, for his anti-Semitism. Uh, he laid wreaths 
um, at the graves of terrorists um, who had killed uh, members of the Israeli team in Munich in 1973. Wow. So uh, it's not surprising, of course, that this would be seen as a wonderful person to have on board. Um, but it's rather sickening. If you look at the, they also listed the long list of countries uh, who've supported South Africa on this front. And of course, they're all countries with the worst possible human rights records mm. you can imagine. Mm. Uh, countries like Iran or Malaysia, um, you know, this sort of idea that, you know, Israel's an apartheid state is also really obnoxious, this sort of line that was, was made. When you look at countries uh, in the Middle East, Israel is one of the few countries um, where you can lead a free life regardless of your faith, whether you're a Christian, Muslim, or Jewish. You know, you can live where you want in Israel. You can practice the kind of job that you want. Uh, you can be a member of the Knesset, a member of the judiciary. Um, does anybody know of any Jews or Christians who've gained any prominence um, in Muslim countries, who lead free, wonderful lives in Iran, um, in uh, Sudan, uh, in Egypt? Uh, no. Uh, those are not places that are friendly to people of other faiths. Um, but those are the kinds of places that have said South Africa is doing a wonderful job. And because I've already got a first question that's just come in uh, from uh, Anonymous. Why do so many people say South Africa presented an airtight case? Is it just ignorance? Yes, I suppose you know most people have very little access to the law, and I think it is a useful thing that these things are televised and we can have a, a, you know, a, a, an opportunity to see what, what happens in court proceedings. Um, I, I think there's probably a mix of things going on there when someone makes a claim like that. Mm. The one is going to be ignorance in terms of what the actual standards are. I would think that if you spoke to someone and said, oh, that's interesting, it's an airtight case, um, what are the legal principles at play? I don't think they could tell you. Um, you know, what are the kinds of arguments that Israel could use to rebuff this? I don't think they could tell you. Right. Um, I mean, one of the things that I just found severely sickening was this coverage of the hero's welcome that the legal team got at Jan Smuts. Um, you know, mm. with you know, people sort of waving various uh, pro-Palestinian flags and things like this. Um, it, it shows a deep level of ignorance. One of the things that came up on my SFM interview, after I'd mentioned um, the horrific atrocities committed by Hamas, in particular um, the levels of rape, um, people called in and said, but the rapes never happened. This is Israeli propaganda lies. Now imagine wow. that you're the Hamas militant mm. who strapped a camera to yourself so that you could celebrate and show the world the wonderful thing that you were doing to kill those Jewish Zionist pigs across the border, and you film yourself engaged in acts of violence and rape, and then the world won't even believe you. It must be so frustrating for those poor Hamas terrorists. So the, the other kind of strange thing that was said was that, um, well, you know, the big article that goes into this is from the New York Times. Now, the New York Times, uh, many of your listeners will know, haven't exactly been particularly enthusiastic about Israel for a very long time. But they decided that it's important on this issue to go and find out what happened. And they interviewed 180 people. Um, and there's, there's just striking eyewitness accounts um, of the mass rapes and the killings and the torture, um, speaking to coroners, examining bodies. Um, and it's undeniable that rape happened in just the most grotesque ways. And mm. so the move is to say, oh, it's the New York Times. You can't trust them. They're Americans because they're in league with, uh, with Israel. So it's very hard to convince a certain kind of person. And that sickening level of denialism, you know, you sort of think about people who are Holocaust deniers now. And you say, well, uh, you know, I guess it's... It's been 75 years, you know, how could you know? It, it's, been, it's been a few months. Yeah. You know, the idea that someone could deny things like this now, right. uh, it's not just ignorance, it's malice. Advocate, if I can come in there, do you think that there's, there's this attempt 
to use reverse psychology, you you spoke earlier on about uh, you know where the word genocide comes, what it referred to. Now all of a sudden it's being used in this case, and now of course uh, you have this uh, outright denialism of what's going on. Is this uh, is this something that's being attempted to play uh, at you know garnering support and uh, conjuring up some kind of case against Israel? Yes, I mean, one of the questions to be asked is, why is this litigation being run? Um, and I would think that the primary objective is really a delegitimization project. Mm. Um, you know, that I don't think anyone seriously believes that this litigation will cause Israel to engage in a ceasefire. It knows mm. that it has mm-hmm. a responsibility to its citizens to protect them from ongoing attacks. Um, so then why has South Africa brought this case? Well, it's to try and create the impression that Israel is some kind of pariah state to um, you know, spread all sorts of libels about them and possibly to gain some kind of financial benefit. Now, when we say South Africa, I think we're deluding ourselves to say that it is South Africa. Many South Africans, I think, find this a sickening process. I think many Christians in particular find this sickening. Mm-hmm. So it's the ANC. It's the ANC who say we're facing a very tough election year. It'd be nice to be able to drum up a little local support and possibly receive some funds in an illicit manner from the states uh, who've lined up to support us. Um, and I wouldn't be terribly surprised if uh, there are many other cultures filled with dollars uh, that will help uh, pay for the ANC's election campaign. Advocate, I'm going to have to cut you short again. We have to cross for a commercial break. Uh, thank you for staying on the line. If you've just joined us, we are joined by Advocate Mark Oppenheimer, who's a practicing advocate and member of the Johannesburg Bar. We are just unpacking Israel's response on Friday to South Africa's uh, genocide case against Israel. Time's just gone at 10 to Five, stay with us. We'll be back after this. Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. Time's just going. Eight minutes to five. At the top of the hour, Calvin Mlumbo will be bringing us uh, a full news update. Until then, joining us on the line, we have um, advocate Mark Oppenheimer, who's a practicing advocate and member of the Johannesburg Bar. The advocate is joining us this afternoon once again just to uh, take a closer look at Israel's uh, defense on Friday. That's in this case that South Africa's brought against it, uh, brought against it regarding a genocide. Advocate, uh, thank you for staying on the line if we can just now move on from stuffed couches full of money to the uh, final speakers of the day that was Christopher uh, Staker who addressed the court uh, finally and Mr. Gilad Noam let's sum it up uh, your your thoughts on their deliveries are there particular things that um, that they spoke on that you'd like to address well how they summed up how they uh, presented uh, is Israel's case and exactly what what poignant points did they point out at that point in time that will uh, actually just blow South Africa's case apart what what's what uh, struck you in their deliveries there yes I uh I have to say that I'm struggling to recall in particular what was said, uh, but the impression that I was given by that team was that given the extreme odds that they had to face in Mm. terms of the timeline available to them, that they really made an enormous effort um, to dismantle the South African case, and I think we're very successful on that front. Um, It's often one got the sense in watching the proceedings that um, there were many documents that were available to the court that would debunk, um, that would go into a lot of the policy questions, the humanitarian um, sort of response questions, to show the efforts that Israel has engaged in to conduct a just war that aims to minimize the loss of civilian life. Um, and there was a sense that that, that team presentation was uh, very coherent um, and uh, 
you know, I, I think ultimately should leave an honest viewer with the mm. sense that the South African case um, ought to be dismissed. Advocate, okay, so that aside now, we have uh, Germany coming on board Israel's uh, defense. What does this mean exactly now going forward between now until we hear uh, uh, next from uh, the ICJ um, uh, law, uh, judges? rather? Uh, they're coming on board. The, uh, how, how is this taking the matter forward? How do they contribute now to Israel's defense? Yes, so it's a two-part case. This is really the preliminary portion of the case in right. order to receive an interim order. And that the idea is that the actual case would be a much longer ordeal and that other states would have an opportunity to be involved in that. Okay. And so, of course, a good thing that um, Germany have put their names forward to say, you know, that this is not a genocide. Um, and so they can produce substantive arguments and address the evidence that would come out. This is a process that may last many, many years. Okay. Um, and I think we'll see that the... Uh, Righteous governments around the world will stand up to um, protect Israel. Indeed, and uh, so far it's Germany. Uh, what are, is um, is Israel garnering more support from other countries at this point in time? I'm not sure. Um, it's possible that um, you could have someone like America getting involved, or you could have other countries that um, you know take the view that it's important to you know have the truth out there and that they will um, get involved in the proceedings. But we have yet to see. Indeed. Advocate, um, what uh, other thoughts have you gathered for, from others in the legal fraternity? How are they inter interpreting uh, what we heard on Friday and Thursday for that matter? Hi, Advocate. We seem to have run into a technicality here. Okay, so we've lost Advocate Mark Oppenheimer on the line. Uh, if you've just joined us, uh, welcome to the Afternoon Overdrive on 11.9 High FM. Uh, I've been chatting to Advocate Mark Oppenheimer regarding the hearings, uh, well, Israel's response rather on Friday uh, to this genocide case being brought against it by South Africa. At the moment, we're just trying to get hold of him. Um, we're dealing with some technicalities uh, at the moment. Um, I'd just like to invite you once again uh, to come on board and give us your thoughts. And if you've got any questions, I've only got about, by my clock, uh, yeah, four more minutes left uh, to chat to uh, Advocate uh, Oppenheimer. If you have any thoughts or any questions you'd like to ask, let us know. SMS 34519, Telegram 061-895-1019, Twitter handle at HiFM. You want to drop us an email, it's onair at HiFM.com. A very interesting chat we've been having so far with uh, Advocate uh, Mark Oppenheimer on the show. It's a pity now we've just lost contact at this point in time because I was looking forward to unpacking uh, a few more issues uh, regarding our conversation. Um, at the moment, we're just trying to get hold of him. Uh, just to recap, on those contact details, SMS 34519, Telegram 061-895-1019, Twitter handle at HiFM. If you want to drop us an email, it's on air at HiFM.com. As I've mentioned before, we can always keep the conversation going. It doesn't have to be restricted to this point in time. So uh, all of you out there who have been listening in on uh, Afternoon Overdrive this afternoon, when I've also been chatting to Advocate uh, Mark Oppenheimer, please come on board, ask your questions, give us your thoughts. Looking forward to you coming on board and uh, contributing to this afternoon's Afternoon Overdrive. We're still dealing with some technicalities at the moment. Um, we'll be back with you shortly. Okay, so uh, we seem to have overcome the technicalities um, this afternoon. 
uh, on the afternoon over well, on the, during this conversation. We're still trying to get hold of uh, advocate Mark Oppenheimer. Okay, so we still seem to be having an issue trying to connect with uh, Advocate Oppenheimer. In the meantime, let me bring you some breaking news uh, happening uh, on our site at the moment. Well, uh, there's this uh, Saudi report, uh, this being this news coming through on the Times of Israel. Mystery Islamic group has attacked an Israeli outpost. I'll bring you more on that a little later on. Britain also has declared the anti-Semitic hits, but uh, I'll come back to that a little later on. I think we are. Uh, getting hold of Mark right now. Um, how are we doing? Okay, so we don't have Mark on the line just yet. Uh, we will try and get hold of him. Oh, Mark, there you go. Great to have you back, back on board. I'm so sorry about that. Uh, just some technical glitches that uh, we've had uh, to deal with. So, Mark, uh, just to wrap up uh, your thoughts on the uh, on the overall proceedings on Friday. Yes, well, I think we await to see what the result will be from the court um, that uh, we should hear within the next few weeks as to um, what the court's view will be. It's open to to either dismiss the case, to grant all of South Africa's relief, which includes um, the claim that South Africa ought to, sorry, that Israel ought to uh, stop its war with Gaza. Of course, there's no concomitant relief that Hamas needs to stop attacking Israel. Um, and there also are... Um, Incidents to require Israel to um, not engage in genocide. Um, we there are 17 judges. Um, there's 15 who are permanent, uh, and then there's one from each country, from Israel and South Africa as well. Um, it's possible that you could have a split decision, so some right. judges deciding one way and some judges deciding another. Mm-hmm. Advocate, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much for taking this time to join us this afternoon on the Afternoon Overdrive just to give us your views and thoughts as to how uh, Israel's defense went on uh, Friday, the 12th of January, defense against South Africa's case against it regarding genocide. Uh, Advocate Mark Oppenheimer, practicing advocate and member of the Johannesburg Bar.